This morning's scripture is a passage taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has now been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. for just a moment to praise you for your word and to thank you for uh, the intentions of your spirit to apply this word to our lives so that we can have joy. And Lord, I pray that everything that is mentioned in this passage would move us to pursuing our joy in you. And Lord, even in the midst of sorrow, as we see mentioned in this text and know is great in this world, I pray that every heart in this room would find joy in you. So Lord Jesus, that's something I can't make happen, but I know that by your spirit you can do all things. And so I ask that you would have free work in our hearts this morning. Do all that you intend to accomplish in each of our lives this morning. And we look to you for help. We ask that your spirit would give us ears to hear what you would want to say to us today. Let nothing distract us from what you would want to hear, want us to hear from you today. Every person in this room, Lord, focus our minds on you and your ability to speak to our souls and to supply the joy that every one of us are looking for. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we, every one of us, would wholeheartedly turn to you and stop looking for joy from things that will never deliver us to a place of satisfaction and joy. You alone have created us to find our joy in you, and I pray you would let that happen this morning. So move us a little closer to you, a little more deeply in love with you. And Lord, we ask that you would do this according to your great mercy and your sweet loving kindness. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 
So the passage that David just read is a little broader than what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the last few verses of this paragraph, the last three verses, actually just verses 22 to 24. And the sentence that I want you to keep in your head is, pray so that your joy may be full. I don't know what your motivations are for prayer, but I just wonder, when you sit down to pray or when you're engaging in prayer throughout your day, is it in your mind, Lord, I'm going to pray because I want my joy to be full? Do you pray like that? I don't. I'm going to after reading this text. And yet what we see here, Jesus is saying, and this is, this is, Uh, A part of what we as elders have sensed, we need to move ourselves in the direction of leaning more into prayer. Because I suspect your prayer life is not what it ought to be. Does anybody, would would, would anybody stand up and say, my my prayer life is perfect. I'm fine. My prayer life is thriving. My prayers are answered. I receive joy, satisfaction. There's no room for any growth in my prayer life. I don't think any of us would say that. So if that's true, then probably we have some room for movement in our prayer life. And I don't think me standing here telling you, you need to pray more. You need to get on your knees and pray more because that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's going to motivate any of you to pray. In fact, you'll go home feeling guilty and say, I'm never going back there again. But what if I were to say to you, Jesus intends prayer to be a means of supplying joy to your soul. Would that pique your interest and say, is that true? Is that really in the Bible? Because that's, it is. So I'm just going to read these last three verses just so that we'll have them before us again. Because I want you to see something um, in, in these three verses. So verse 22 You have sorrow now, Jesus says, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me for truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the name of the the father in my name, he will give it to you until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That's the words of Jesus. And I want to know what they mean. And so let's get the context here of what's going on in this passage. I had David read that larger section because what has happened is Jesus is speaking to his disciples and it's them and them alone. It's nobody else. They have been in the upper room for all night long talking together. This is the night before the Last Supper. So this is the evening before Jesus is about to be crucified and they have uh, been celebrating the Passover with Jesus and his disciples and Jesus has now said, okay guys, let's leave, let's go to the Mount of Olives and pray. So they have left the upper room and they're walking together outside under the stars of the Jerusalem night headed across the valley over to the Mount of Olives. Which by the way, If you ever want to see the Mount of Olives, we have a trip that we are planning. We planned this back at the beginning of COVID, and of course COVID said, you guys can't go to Jerusalem. Uh, But now we're planning another one. So May of next year, I think, May, March, sorry, March 13 through 20 of next year, if you want to join us, uh, Elisa, 
right here with her hand raised up. If you're interested in getting information, we have it in the e-news. If you're not getting the e-news, you can see Elisa or just email her, Elisa, A-L-I-S-A at hopechristianchurch.org. If you're curious, you can go see the Mount of Olives, what we're talking about. These are factual events. Christianity is not fiction, not made up. And so Jesus, imagine this, outside walking with his disciples towards the Mount of Olives. They have left the upper room. And that reminds me also, uh, this week we discovered David Gonzalez, who is one of our elders, uh, is going to be leaving us. He has been working with GE with Jet Propulsion, and he has decided and been invited into the, uh, the world of the academy, and so he is going to be moving, flying off to Virginia Tech to teach um, mechanical engineering. And so uh, you'll be hearing about more of that soon, but he will be leaving us. So the disciples and Jesus have left. They're walking out uh, over towards the Mount of, of Olives and Jesus is talking to them. And he's talking about prayer. And what he is saying is, in a little while, I'm gonna be leaving you. And the disciples, and then he says, in another little while, I'll be back and, and your joy will be full. And the disciples say, I don't know what he's talking about. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, I have no idea what's going on? Well, you're in good company. The disciples often struggled with understanding. And Jesus says, are you guys trying to figure out what I have been saying? And, and they're like, yes, but nobody was bold enough to ask him. And so he says, in a little while, you're not going to see me. What he's talking about is I'm about to die. I will be in the tomb for three days. So you're not going to see me and you're going to be weeping and mourning at my absence. And he says, in another little while, you're going to see me again. And then you're going to rejoice and, and no one will take that joy from you. And so uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples what he wants them to do after his departure. While he is gone, he's teaching them about prayer. So these three verses at the very end zero in our attention on prayer. And I want you to see the benefits of prayer so that you will become a person who engages more in the kind of prayer that Jesus intends to bring you joy. So that's what we're headed for. So let me read, I want you to see this. The last verse, verse 24. It is Jesus' desire that his disciples are filled with joy. Okay, verse 24, look at it with me. If you have your copy, navigate there or it'll be on the screen. Jesus says to his disciples, until now you have asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. Jesus wants you to be full of joy. He wants his disciples, and I'm, I'm speaking to those who are followers of Jesus. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you have no idea the joy that Jesus can pour into your life. I'm, I plead with you, consider today surrendering your life to Jesus and giving him the, the, the privilege of pouring life into you because you were created to know him. You will not experience joy in this life if you do not know your creator. You won't. There's other little temporary joys that will satisfy for a little while, but will leave you in misery. So a creator, Jesus created you to know him, and he intends joy to be given to you. And he says, ask, you'll receive, that your joy may be full. So he wants joy for his disciples. Now, joy is a massive topic in John. In the Gospel of John, the word joy appears eight times 
total in the gospel. And seven of them are, are from chapter 15 to chapter 17. Seven times Jesus is talking about joy in these, in these little chapters, in one conversation. So in, remember, this from chapters, John chapter 14 to 17 is one extended dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. And seven times Jesus uses the word joy, and three times he uses the word rejoice. And remember what night this is. This is the night before his crucifixion. So Jesus is teaching and, and preaching repeatedly about joy and about rejoicing on the very night before he knows he's about to be tortured and brutally killed. Jesus is spending time with his disciples, focusing them on joy and being filled with his joy. He bookends this notion on this entire conversation. So John 15, almost at the beginning of this conversation, Jesus says this in verse 11. These things I am speaking to you or have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus, I'm telling you this so that you will have fullness of joy. And then in chapter 17, he prays it. And he prays and he's, and he's now praying to God the Father. And he says, I, now I am coming to you, meaning to God the Father. Jesus said, I'm coming to you. I'm going to the Father. So if you ask the question, where did Jesus go when he died? The answer is he went to the Father. So he says, I am now coming to you and speak these things I speak in this world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Jesus wants his disciples, his followers to know his joy. He says, I want my joy in you and I want your joy to be full. So Jesus wants his delight in, in doing the will of God and in his relationship to God, he wants his followers to experience that. That's Jesus' desire for his disciples. You have to believe this. And I'm inviting you. That's why I want you to see this in Scripture. Because who am I? I am not a soul on the planet, some abstract guy. But I want you to see God's word saying that Jesus wants his disciples to know and experience fullness of joy. I want you to see it in his word. And so he says, I, I give you two instances of it. But the question is, how does that joy come to us? By what means do we experience joy? And the answer is by prayer. This passage points to the fact that it is prayer is the means of experiencing joy because he four times Jesus uses the word ask. He says, ask, 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 and your joy will be full. Asking is simply another way of saying, I want you to pray. Praying is simply talking to God. It is communication with God the Father. Whether spoken or unspoken, it is spiritual communication with God the Father. And so Jesus is commanding here, ask, commune with God the Father, speak to him, and your joy may be full. So prayer is for every Christian. If you think you're a Christian, you don't know how to pray, prayer is simply talking to God. If you can talk to your friend, you can talk to God. I want you to practice with me. Turn to someone near you and say, good morning. You can do it. You, and we think, I, I don't know how to pray, 
right? We think there's some formula that we ought to pray. If prayer is simply speaking to God, when you wake up, simply say, good morning, Lord. Thank you for a good night's sleep, even though the mattress was hard. Or I, thank you, God, good morning. It's just talking to God. This is for every Christian, and we all need to begin to practice. So prayer is not for super Christians. Prayer is for every Christian. And prayer is the means by which joy is communicated to us. And so he says, 1624, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is true, and I can tell you it's true, because why else would Satan fight so hard to keep you from praying? If prayer was unimportant to the Christian life, why else? And, and you know this, every time you sit down, do you, are you not distracted by 10,000 things? When, when you start praying, you're, you're, everything comes to your mind. I have to get groceries. I have to do this today. Oh, I got to put that aside. Lord Jesus, help me. I got to clean the blinds or whatever. There's such an opposition to intentional prayer because it's so important. And one of the greatest obstacles is all the pain and suffering in this world. And Jesus is not uninformed about the sorrow of this world. And so you probably hear the devil whisper in your ear, you want to pray to a God who lets an 18-year-old angry young man walk into a fourth grade classroom and kill 19 kids and two teachers? You want to pray to him? What's the point? Or you want to pray to a God who has a, a, a particular denomination with a 205-page list of sexual uh, con convicts who have been on the staff of churches? You want to pray to a God like that? And the answer is yes. It's verse 22. Jesus says, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Jesus knows in this world, when he's absent, sorrow is present. When you, when you don't have your eyes on Jesus, sorrow is abundantly present. Where Jesus is absent, sorrow is, is, is full of, of presence. And Jesus, at the very end of chapter 16, the last verse, verse 33, says this. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have grief. In this world, you will experience suffering. But he also says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so he knows he's not ignorant of the suffering that we face in this world. And yet, there are enemies of, of righteousness in this world also. For example, Jesus says about Satan in John 12 and chapter 14, he calls him the ruler of this world. He says that about Satan. Paul also tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I, I just wonder when evil things happen in the world, why does everybody get ticked off at God and nobody gets mad at Satan? We, we want to blame God for the problems in the world. What happened in Uvalde, Texas wasn't the will of God, it was the will of Satan. Because Jesus says Satan was a murderer from the beginning. 
So if you want to get mad at someone, get mad at Satan and pray to Jesus because he's the only one who acknowledges the sorrow and has entered into it. Jesus was murdered. He he was brutalized. He came and was beaten. Why? So that we who deserve exactly the same would be free from it. So that we would not spend eternity being punished for our sins. Jesus was brutalized so we wouldn't have to be. And so he has entered into the suffering of this world. And so he says, right now, while you're in this world, you're going to experience suffering. But that's not the end of the story. That is not the end. He said, I have overcome the world and one day you will see me again. So what should you be doing while you're not physically seeing Jesus? You should be praying. Is the point is his point here in this passage? And there are lots of other passages to which we could go to give a fuller explanation about prayer. I'm not gonna go there. I'm simply confining myself to this passage this morning because I want you to drill down here with me on this. So verse 23, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So when we don't see Jesus, what we ought to be doing is praying. He's saying, truly, truly, meaning I need to get your attention here. Hear me, listen, this is serious. So pray, whatever you ask, that's asking. Whatever you ask God the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So while Jesus is absent, we should be praying is what he is saying. And he also tells us how to pray. He says, pray in my name. Pray to God the Father in my name. And he he says, this is new. You haven't prayed like this before. To his disciples. we're, We're behind the disciples and yet we should be praying in the name of Jesus. And yet he says, I want you praying in my name to God the Father. And if you pray like that, prayers will be answered. So what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It's not simply adding on a little sentence at the end of whatever prayer you want. Like, I need a free lunch, a really good free lunch, in the name of Jesus. Give it to me, amen. Or, please, Lord Jesus, give me a new car. I need a a new car and a new suit and some new hearing aids and new glasses. In the name of Jesus. Is that what we're talking about? There are two things I think Jesus, at least two that Jesus means when he says, pray in my name. A, it is pray in accordance with my authority. And B, it is pray for, ultimately for my glory. Praying on the basis of the authority of Jesus means you understand no sinful person. And that's everybody on the planet. No one has the right to go into the throne room of the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty and ask anything. Right? You, can you march into the office of the President of the United States right now and just ask for uh, a new job? Or, right? We can't even do that with human representatives who are much more fallible. How, how much more is it prohibited for uh, sinful human beings to walk in the divine presence of the Lord God Almighty who has never sinned and say anything? We have no right to pray other than on the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who has atoned for our sins and removed the very things that would keep us from the presence of God. 
only upon his authority. And Jesus said, before he ascended into heaven, Matthew 28, 19, he said, all authority has now been given to me. Therefore, you go make disciples and teach everyone to obey what I have said. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. There's no other basis upon which to pray. So when you pray in the name of Jesus, you realize you don't have any right to ask anything except on the right that Jesus purchased as you, as you being his disciple. Praying in the name of Jesus means grounding your prayers in the authority of Jesus. And secondly, it means praying for the glory of Jesus. So let me read you a summary of John 15. And I'd like for you to look at this and, and think about this a little later on. Maybe this will be some homework for you. I'm just going to summarize a, a few sentences. This is Jesus still, same night. We're on the same night. He's still talking to his disciples. And he says this. I'll pull this together in a little summary. 15, John 15, verses 4 to 11. Jesus says, abide in me like a branch that abides in a vine. Remain connected. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, which is how my father is glorified, meaning that you bear much fruit and glorifies God the father. So if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you obey my commandments, then you will abide in my love. So, ask. Right? These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. This is, this is an incredible uh, paragraph. And what Jesus is saying is, if you remain in me, and I remain in you, and, and my word remains in, ye, in you, then you will do wonderful things. You will be fruitful. You will be helpful. You will bring glory to God the Father because without me, you can do nothing. How many of you pray that? I, I pray every, every Sunday before I stand up here to preach, Lord, you, you have to please help me because I know I can't do anything well, except hurt people and screw things up. We can do that pretty well. But doing anything good and fruitful and productive, we can do nothing. Apart from him doing any good, we are completely paralyzed. And yet, Jesus says, if I'm in you, if my words fill your mind and, and govern your thoughts, your prayers will be directed in such a way that God the Father will be glorified and you will bear fruit. You will be a fruitful person. And how many of you love tasting good fruit? Fruit sustains us. Food is good for us. One time, me and two of my buddies were camping. And we, it used to be our uh, habit to drive to a deserted location and with a backpack on our back with everything that we could carry as all we took with us, we would then hike for about three or four hours, make a camp and, and, and then uh, set up for the, for the weekend. And on this occasion, we, we got there, we got our stuff, we went for a hike, and we had a particular location that we were striving for because uh, we knew that uh, there was a nice flat little land and some water, and we could find a, a great campsite, and we were trying to get there, and we got lost. So, and we didn't have any, any lights, uh, fortunately, at that time. <laughs> so we were wandering around in the dark, 
praying to Jesus, please help us find our spot. Please let us find this spot. And we couldn't find it. And you know, we stumbled across a wild apple tree. And I was starving because we hadn't had any, we had hiked for about three hours. I hadn't had anything to eat. We were all starving. And suddenly we smell this smell. And, and wild apples in the wild are wonderfully good, especially when you're starving. And so we, I grabbed the whole, I didn't wash anything. I just grabbed it and ate. And it was glorious. And I thought, this must be like the Garden of Eden. Eating fresh apples and wonderful. But my point is, you'll be like that. If you are filled with the Spirit of Christ and the Word of Christ governs your life, you will be like that to the people around you. Jesus says you will bear much fruit. You will be the kind of people people want to go to. You in sorrow. When sorrow enters into our lives, you will be the kind of person that people will come to and say, can you help me? Can you give me something good to eat? Can you, can you help fortify my life? You will bear much fruit. And Jesus says, by that you will glorify God the Father. And if you're in him and his word is in you and his, his word is governing your thinking, he says, you will pray, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. You're, you're not going to ask for something stupid. You won't ask for something crazy that's contrary to God's will because your mind will be shaped. Your soul will be shaped by the word of God and the spirit of Christ such that you're in line with him. You're in accord with Christ and you will pray in accord with his will. And he says, you pray, I will answer and you will glorify me and good things will happen. And Jesus is, is so incredible to invite us into that kind of relationship relationship that's what he's saying in John 16 he is saying you you follow me you glorify me you think about me you let your your thoughts and your prayers be shaped by me and you will bear much fruit so 24 until now Jesus is saying you have not asked for anything in my name but ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full I want to know what that means I want to know what it means. You pray and I will answer. What is the point? The purpose clause in this verse is so that your joy may be full. And I just wonder, could anybody use a little fullness of joy? Do you, is your soul, are you full? Or could you experience a little bit more? And I, I want to know what this means. I want to pray like that. I want to begin to know that if, if Jesus has promised, we're praying in accordance with his will, in align with him and his name, everything his name means in his will for our lives. If we're praying in accord with him, he says, I will answer your prayers and you will, you will be full of joy. I'm this summer, I'm, I'm on this. I am, I'm headed here and I want to invite you to join me. I want to, if you're looking for opportunities to pray, there's one coming up this Wednesday night at 7.30 in this room. We're going to gather to pray. We pray every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. from 10 to 10.15 a.m. in that room right over there. If you want to join together, get your life group and, and pray like this and pray, Lord Jesus, 
Teach us what this means. Teach us how to, to pray in alignment with your will and let us know this joy that you want us to experience because Jesus wants his disciples to know joy. So let me close with some practical um, ways in which you might begin to do this. First of all, do you believe what I'm saying is true? Do you believe it? If you don't believe Jesus doesn't want to give you joy through prayer, you're not going to pray. You'll, you'll watch TV or go, you know, golfing or whatever. Do you believe Jesus intends to fill your soul with joy through prayer? Because that's what he says here. If you believe it, then accept this. Even in the dark of night, Jesus commands us to pray. Even in the middle of sorrow, he invites his disciples to persistent prayer. So first, believe it's true. Second, make a plan. Plan for some time to talk to God. Whether that is six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the evening or midnight or whenever it is, make a date on your calendar to spend time with the Lord and keep it. Because we make time for important people in our lives, don't we? You, you make time for people you want to spend time with. Well, can you make time for the Lord Jesus and, and, and in, enter into a conversation with him? That's, that's what one practical way you can begin. So plan a time to talk with Jesus and spend time with him. Let nothing divert you from it. Third, include scripture in that meeting. Because Jesus says, if my word abides in you and you abide in my word, then you're going to pray in accordance with my will. I'm going to answer those prayers. So God's word needs to shape our mind. So we need to know what his word is. So include scripture, your scripture reading. Have a plan in your time with the Lord. Include that. And David Gonzalez, has, he said something to me this weekend which stunned me. Uh, it's a Samaritan's Purse reading plan that David has. He said, I've been doing this for a couple years. And I think he said something like, this is the greatest thing I've experienced in three or four years in my relationship with the Lord. And I wish I'd been doing this years before. I might have got a few words off, but something like that, right, David? It was compelling. I'm like, I want to get this Samaritan's Purse Bible reading plan and jump into it too. So have a plan for God's word. And he can tell you all about it if you want to go see him. Uh, fourth, so include scripture in your meeting with the Lord. Fourth, Talk to God throughout your day. So yes, have an intentional, dedicated time to speak with the Lord, but then also, you know you can talk to him throughout the day. So yes, pray, get alone, pray, pray out loud. I encourage you to pray out loud. But then as you move throughout the course of the day, pray in your heart, pray in your spirit, because the Bible has a category for prayer that doesn't involve any words. It's spiritual prayer. Two examples, Hannah, Hannah wanted to have a child, the Old Testament. I think it's first, what, first Samuel, right? First Samuel, it's the beginning of Samuel. She wanted a baby boy. She wanted a little maverick. And she, she was barren. She didn't have a child. And she went one day to worship. And in the earnest pleading of her heart, she was praying, not saying a word, except her lips were moving. And Samuel thought she was drunk. He's a woman, what are you doing coming to church drunk? And she said, I'm not drunk. I am, I am pouring out my soul before the Lord. She didn't say a word. So you can pray throughout the day without speaking. 
Nehemiah did the same thing in the service of the king. As he was pouring out some wine for the king, the king said, what's the matter with you? And, and the text says, I prayed to my God. And then he spoke. I don't think he stopped and knelt down and said, dear Lord Jesus, I'm about to answer the king's question. He, he was crying out in his heart. You can do that throughout the course of your day. So embrace some of these uh, strategies for talking to Jesus a little more and ask the Lord, will you unfold to me some of this goodness and sweetness that is here in this text and, and revive my prayer life? Restore a passion in me for spending time with God the Father and see if he answers. Because I'm, I'm thinking Jesus is going to answer this request. If, if what I've shared with you is accurate interpretation of Scripture, Jesus doesn't lie. So he's going to bless your prayer life. So let's close our eyes for just a moment. I just want to invite you uh, in the quietness of your own soul just to ask, Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me right now? What did I hear that I need not forget? Lord Jesus, we have listened to your words. And Lord, I pray that by uh, the work of your spirit, you would move us to yearn to commune with you in sweet prayer that brings joy to our hearts. Let us move closer to you. So Lord, I pray, give us a desire to pray. And let us put practices into our lives that will help us to experience you in new ways. Let us go to you in sorrow and talk to you about it. Let us go to you in joy and talk to you about it. May we be a people who yearn to commune with you. So, Father, pour out your spirit on your children who are hearing my voice and move us to seek you even more deeply. And, Father, I pray you pour out your spirit on those who are not yet your children, but who yearn to be. For those who, who hear your voice calling them into a relationship, for those who know they are not yet in a relationship with you, May today be a day when they would cry out to you in their hearts right now and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want my sins forgiven. I, I want to be washed and cleansed and accepted and adopted into your family. I want to be able to call upon God the Father in the name of Jesus. Lord, let that happen this morning, I pray. So Jesus, it is only in your name we pray. For we know that you can do all things through Christ. Amen.